0: Well, are you ready to get into the Word? Yes, okay, someone is. All right, good. Good. Well, as the children are dismissed for children's church, parents can breathe a sigh. Grab your Bibles. Undistracted. Okay, I'm looking in the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Galatians, chapter 6. Stand with me, let's read together, beginning with verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Lord, we pray for a responsiveness in our heart and our mind today as we bring ourselves to Your Word. We present, Lord, our minds to You. We desire to be shaped. So, Lord, if there's a warning that we need to heed, help us to heed it. If there's a command that we need to obey, or a sin that we need to repent of, Lord, lead us to that right response. Thank you for what's before us today. May it be a blessing to your people. May it be a blessing as I share it and as they receive it. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you saw this uh, in the banner or not. Um, It was advertised that the devil was going to put his tools up for sale. Did you see that? In the banner? I think it was like right next to the pastor's corner. I'm kidding. I'm kidding with you. But glow with me here for a minute, okay? On the date of the sale, the tools were placed for public inspection, each being marked with its sale price. It was a treacherous lot. Hatred, envy, doubt, lying, pride, and so on. Uh, laid apart from the rest, was a harmless-looking tool, well-worn and priced very high. "'The name of the tool?' asked one of the purchasers. "'Oh,' said the adversary, "'that's discouragement. "'Why have you priced it so high?' "'Because it's more useful to me than the others.' You see, I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that one when I cannot get near him with the other tools. Now, once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. It's a badly worn tool because I use it on almost everyone since few people know it belongs to me. The devil's price for discouragement was so high, he never sold it. It's still his major tool, and he still uses it today. On God's people. Are you growing weary? I'm not talking about old age. Of course, physically we may tire faster as age sets in. But the concern of Paul in this last warning, listen, it's, it's the final warning of the letter in the book of Galatians. Notice we're nearing the end here. But it's this. Are, are you growing weary of doing good? Right? He's speaking about a weariness that is not age determinative, but the word that Paul uses here for growing weary is, well, it's also found in the book of Luke. Actually, turn in your Bibles to Luke 18, verse 1. Luke 18. Luke eighteen verse one. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray, and here it is, and not lose heart. Same word. So, get this: Jesus told them this very specific, with this parable, for a very specific purpose, right? I'm telling you this so that you don't lose heart and stop praying. You want to hear it? Okay, here's what he said. In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? That's an interesting ending. Will He find faith on earth? Will there be those who are waiting for Him who have not given up? I think the answer is meant to be introspective to your life. How will He find you? I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is to presume the immediacy of our culture with an immediacy in spiritual things. You know, waiting has never been more abhorred today than perhaps it ever has. We avoid it at all costs, right? And that's why it's such a great moneymaker, too, right? Well, who do you buy this from? Well, who can ship it faster? Oh, well, they can get it here two days. Better buy it from them. Hey, you don't want to wait in line at the amusement park? Buy a fast pass. Don't want to wait through that, you know, that long airport security line. Well, now you can get a TSA pre-check, $85. And some of you are thinking about it. Well, like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. No one likes to wait. And yet we've already been and seen that being a Christian is a process. So Christ's likeness or as Paul likens it, the fruit of the Spirit has to grow in you. That means ongoing attention. It means the weeds of the flesh have to be kept at bay. It means the directives of the Spirit must be heard, must be obeyed. Nothing's immediate. You can prevent, listen, you can prevent the kind of spiritual weariness that gives up. Now, you can't prevent discouraging things from happening from coming, but you can prevent the kind of weariness to do good that such discouragements might lead to. So don't let the idea that at some point, you know, you're just going to have to throw in the towel and retire because, you know what, you only have so much fuel in the tank. And when you're out, well, you're out. No, there's got to be daily rest and maybe even rest for a season. But the attitude is that it's, it's for the purpose of getting back Into the game. And if your attitude is otherwise, then you have to ask yourself, well, what are you running on? What fuel are you using? Have you ever read or claimed the promise of Isaiah 40, 31? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall rock and not faint. Folks, is that, is that true? I'm just asking you, is that true? Can you give a testimony today that you have been renewed as you've waited on God? So God keeps His Word then. He keeps His Word to us. But I have to renew my thoughts about Him. Well, how about this? Remember this verse? Cast your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Some of us read that yesterday. God cares for you. You know that's a distinctive of Christianity? You mean God, the Creator and absolute authority of the universe, stoops down not only to take notice of your life and its worries, but offers a shoulder to carry them. And then in their place, He says, I'll give you a peace that can quiet even the most overwhelmed Heart. Yeah, that's the God of the Bible. You won't find a God like that in any other faith. Listen, certainly not in the faith of self. The faith in self, which is what a lot of people are turning to. Which, by the way, is what the Galatian churches have been hijacked into believing in. Faith in self says, you should be able to save yourself. You got yourself into that hole. You should be able to get yourself back out. Well, truth is, you may be able to climb a little higher than somebody else, right? You may be very, far more better at obeying some rules, but I'll tell you this, you'll never climb to the moral height of God. But when you get your gaze correctly on His perfection, and you observe the sinful bent of your own heart, then and only then does the cross unveil its beauty, its power. What's the cross? The cross is the bridge from God to man. Right through the righteous death of Christ, there, was a, there is a way to be accepted by God so that legally speaking, it's as though I never sinned. Think about that. As though you never sinned. This is the gospel of grace. It underlies the whole book that we've been in. I don't deserve it but I can have it by faith, by calling to God. And we learn grace is not just how we enter, but it's how we continue, right? Remember what Paul said, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No. The Spirit of grace who works miracles in you and around you, He doesn't come because of some religious performance you put on. No, He came because... God called you in grace, and it was through hearing with faith. And guess what? He called you in grace, and He says, "I'm going to complete you in grace." So the new life of grace and the Spirit is at well. It's at odds with the old sinful flesh. Remember, through the cross, that flesh has been dethroned. It's not in charge anymore, but it's not yet removed. So what does it do? Well, it, it wars with the Spirit. There will be conflict. In fact, the presence of conflict is a good thing. That means you've been awakened to sinful habits that otherwise you wouldn't even think twice about. Now all of a sudden it matters to you. But as you walk by the Spirit, as you follow His direction, and the Spirit reveals to us everything that God has given us in Christ, okay? there's going to be a ripple effect in your life. And first you're going to see it, remember this, through a change inwardly. There's going to be personal progress in becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we examine in Galatians 5. And the effect of that personal progress is going to transform how we deal with others. So there's going to be a change outwardly. So As we looked at last week, we'll care deeply. It'll affect us when we see a brother or a sister who has erred, who has turned to a sinful way. We're going to treat them with the kind of gentleness that even an eye surgeon would need on a patient. It also leads us to be willing to lay down our own stuff, our baggage, in order to help someone with their burden. Right? We'll we'll bear each other's burdens. Hey, guess what? There's nothing glorious about doing that kind of work. But to tell you what, there's nothing glorious about the cross either. And then Paul adds, we're going to test our own work. Or to put it another way, we'll stop comparing ourselves out here, and instead we'll examine our growth as compared to the Word of God. Because at the end of the day, God has given every one of us our own responsibility. You have your load, and I have mine. And each one will give an account for it. And that brings us to verse 6 of Galatians 6. Think of this like a bridging verse, okay? It relates what Paul has been talking about, but it also begins the thought that's going to move us towards his concern in verse 9, that you don't grow weary, right? That you don't let discouragement kill you. Your momentum for doing the will of God. So Paul writes in verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, you look at this, you're going to see that there are related words and phrases here, right? So first you have, there is the, the one who is taught and the one who teaches, right? Those two side by side. Paul singles out this relationship, right, between the learner and the teacher. Perhaps the Galatians were neglecting it. Or perhaps Paul's just clarifying his previous statement. Because after all, if we have our own loads to bear, then it might be argued that a teacher's load shouldn't be any different. Oh, Let them make their own living, right? But I'll tell you what, there wouldn't be much preaching or teaching if a man was not supported to do it. And the ministry of the Word, like what we're doing today... It's not optional for Christian growth. So even from the earliest times, like these early churches, there was a prioritization of the teaching of the Word. That meant that those who taught it needed to be supported for it. As Paul elsewhere says, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.14 But I don't just want you to think of this like a salary. Like, well, we pay him. We give him a payment. No. Actually, you need to think of it that what you're doing for me or what you would be doing for any teaching pastor who would serve you is that of a sharing. Do you see that there? Share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, that's the word koinonia. Have you heard that before? Koinonia? It's it's a fellowship. So, the spiritual blessings of being taught the word are to be matched with material blessings for the one who teaches. And the more that the teacher is free to study and to prepare, the greater will be the spiritual return for you who listen. So it's a, you see then, it's a partnership in the gospel. It's a sharing together. That's a beautiful picture when done rightly. But that means teachers must not be given to greed or sloth but also that congregations are not using purse strings to control the minister. They should free him up, so he's not burdened with that. So like the commands that preceded it, the partnership of teaching and sharing is is a kind of doing good that Paul wants us to not give up. Okay? And by the way, did you notice that The teacher is to do what? He's to teach the word. Wouldn't you say that's probably the clearest job description, is it not? The pastor is primarily to do what? Teach this. You should be absorbed with this. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for freeing me to do that. And this leads Paul into a final warning. Okay, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Do not be deceived. You know, that phrase actually summarizes really the whole letter of Galatians. This was a church that was on the verge of spiritual shipwreck. Don't, if you could put a caption over the whole book, it would be this, Don't be led astray. Here's what he wants them to not misread. Okay, get this. This is connected. God is not mocked. God is not to be treated lightly. Literally, it means don't turn your nose up at God. Or if I could put it in other words, it's the notion that, don't give in to this, that you can live any way you want because you think you won't be held accountable for it. It's the lie that, you know what, I can live in the flesh now, and then, you know what, somewhere down the road, I'll become a spiritual person later. To that, Jesus said, you're a fool. That's foolish. In fact, in speaking another parable, he said to the, par- remember the, to the rich fool, hey, this night your soul is required of you. Paul says, here's a principle. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. If you sow beans, guess what you'll get? Beans, right? It's not just true in agriculture, though. It's true in God's moral universe. Notice verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, are you hearing the words there? I mean, just grapple with those a little bit. So to your own flesh, and there's an idea of selfishness here, right? To your own flesh, reap corruption. So to the Spirit, reap what? Eternal life. I'd say those are pretty high stakes, wouldn't you? And it draws out the two kinds of audiences who are going to hear this word. Okay? If you sow to the flesh, okay, if the works of the flesh we talked about earlier characterize your life, things like envy, hatred, pride, greed, do not be deceived, Paul says. God's not mocked. Realize where the strain of sin leads to. You may not see it now, but it's being fa- working into the fabric of your life, like James said. Did you know this, that when desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth what? Death. And like Peter or like Paul said here, James says again, do not be deceived my beloved brothers. But to those who by faith in Jesus, okay, so to the spirit. The message is this. Do not grow weary To the unbelieving, hey, don't be deceived. God's wrath will come. Don't take Him lightly. But to the believing, then hear this. Do not grow weary. Right? Verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Perhaps you've been discouraged recently. And if not, well... You will. You will sooner or later. Remember, it's Satan's well-worn tool. So here's what I want to remind ourselves. Here's what I want to observe. A few things about sowing and reaping Okay, from this text. Okay, Number one, remind yourself of this so you don't give up. Number one, there is always a delay between sowing and reaping. Oh, so you can't see what you're doing good is accomplishing. Yeah, I know. Reminds me of a story. There was a man from Virginia, okay? And this was back in the days when it was a colony, okay, before the states were formed. And his name was Luke Short, okay? He was converted to Jesus Christ at the age of, get this, okay, 103, It happened, he was sitting under a hedge and he recalled, listen, he recalled the words of a sermon preached by John Flavel. He was a Puritan preacher, okay? And right then and there, he, he asked for Jesus to forgive him. Now, he lived for another three years and died at the age of 106. His tombstone read, here lies a babe in grace, aged three years, who died according to nature, aged 106. But here's the amazing part, okay? The sermon that he remembered that led him to put his trust in Christ, okay? It was a sermon that he had heard preached, listen, 85 years prior. That's when John Flavel preached it. 85 years before that happened. Not even in the States, in England. Nearly a century had passed between the sowing and the reaping. But eventually, John Flavel reaped his harvest. Now, I know it's hard work to keep sowing, right, farmers? Especially if you're doing it by hand. Sowing in ministry. Sowing in ministry. I'm sorry, in relationships. Sowing through sacrifice. Sowing through rejection. Sowing through hardships of all kinds, but don't give it up. You will reap, Paul says, if you keep at it, if you keep at it. Number two, did you notice this then? Now is the time for sowing. Now is the time for sowing, not reaping. You see, we get that confused. Uh, We think that we should be getting all the blessings now. And many preachers and speakers seem to be telling us this. So, of course, we would get discouraged when we don't see results right away. But the Word tells us that now is the seed time. Now is the time to sow. The harvest is not until the last judgment. So, all the more do good. So, to the Spirit. So, that leads me to number three. Hey, the more you sow, the more you will reap, right? It's true in farming. The more you scatter that seed, the more something's going to come up. And it's true in the gospel. So sow to your heart's desire. Sow as much as you can. And number four then, well, what what is the sowing to the Spirit? Well, number four, the sowing is doing good, right? Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Listen, it's that simple. Do good. So observe this then. God asks you not simply, okay, that doesn't mean you just, it's only sharing your faith or discipling someone, but doing good would also include giving food at a homeless shelter or writing someone a thoughtful note. Or volunteering at a disabilities camp. You do these things when? Now, Paul says, as you have opportunity. The time of opportunity, the season, is right now. Do good to who? Well, to all. Do good to all people. Nevertheless, Paul adds, and especially those who are of the household of faith. In other words, you have a special responsibility for the family of God. That's one reason why membership is so significant. It helps us to know who's in the family. So it's not just anyone who shows up Sunday morning. It's those who have a clear testimony and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And they've committed themselves to one another for the growth of the whole body. So think about this then. As a brother or a sister, the people sitting next to you, these members have a claim on us. One writer said, he said, think of your brother, okay, or think of your sister in this way. You will spend eternity with them. Right? You're going to spend eternity with them. Think of them this way, that he or she, okay, is the representative of your unseen Savior. And he, Jesus, considers everything done to his poor, afflicted brother or sister sitting next to you as being done to himself. So this writer concludes, listen, for a Christian to be unkind to a Christian is not only wrong, it's monstrous. Hey, how you treat each other matters, right? Not just personally but as a witness, right? What's that telling the world about Jesus Christ when you neglect or dismiss or talk rudely to someone who is a brother or a sister of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I don't want any part of that if that's what Jesus is about. So, of course, it matters more how you treat the family of God. So let us begin with doing good here and from here, the world. Right? Okay. So, do not give up, Paul says. Don't grow weary. You can prevent it. And you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. Lord, in light of this passage, in light of where we are at, Lord, we ask that you would give us a mind for the present. A mind for what we need to be doing now. It's time to sow. And we don't need a master's degree or a PhD to sow seed. Because all it is is doing good. And because of your Spirit who is in us, Jesus Christ who lives within, we can do that. We can do good. So Father, remind us Encourage us, and we pray that in the fellowship that we have with your Son, we might have then the motivation to do good to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to do good to the world around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.